The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Will you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Christ the King Sunday, less than a month ago, the sermon was titled, Not My President. And before we even started worshiping, more than a few of you made sure I knew your concerns about the impending sermon you were about to hear. After all, Donald Trump had just procured the necessary electoral college votes to be labeled as the president-elect. And people all across the country were and still are protesting his election with signs saying, Not my president. But if you were here on Christ the King Sunday, you know that the sermon actually had very little to do with Mr. Trump. In fact, it was all about how grateful we should be that Jesus is not our president. However, like the good Methodists we are, the sermon was not the pinnacle of our worship. You might remember a few lines I proclaimed from this pulpit. You might even remember one of the hymns that we did together. But if you sat in the front half of the congregation, I bet the thing you remember most from that service happened during communion. As always, I stood behind the table and I prepared to pray over the bread and the cup. Together we all confessed our sins and asked God to forgive us. We stood up from our pews and we shared signs of Christ's peace and love with one another. And then I asked for God to pour out the Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on the gifts of the bread and the cup. And one by one, each of you came forward to the front of this sanctuary with your hands outstretched, ready to receive the gift that is the body of Christ. One by one, I looked at each of you in the eye as I tore off a piece of bread and I said, this is the body of Christ given for you. Some of you came up with your hands outstretched, but your eyes were filled with tears. Some of you came up and your heads were tilted down, your eyes were focused on the ground, perhaps out of reverence for the precious thing you were about to receive. And still yet, some of you came forward with your eyebrows askew as if to say, who in the world thinks of preaching a sermon about Jesus not being our president? The very last family to come forward sat in our very last pew during worship. They're connected to our church through our preschool. Their son is here in the building every week learning about what it means to grow in knowledge and in wisdom and in the love of God. So when his father came up with his hands outstretched, I asked if I could offer bread to his son. The father smiled and he said, well, of course. And with his blessing, I knelt down on the floor right here. I took a piece of bread and I looked at my little friend in the eye and I said, Owen, this is Jesus. To which Owen smiled. He tilted his head back, opened his mouth, and waited for me to drop the bread right in. <laughs> and without really thinking about what I was doing, I took the piece of bread, I put it in his mouth, I had to kind of push it with my index finger to get all the way in. And in response, he started to chew the bread and smiled and was trying to say with a mouthful of bread, Thank you, Pastor Taylor! On his way back to his pew. And I lost it. 
For whatever reason, I could not contain the laughter that was brewing inside me, and I started cracking up. I laughed so hard, I actually snorted. And perhaps it was the seriousness of our service getting flipped upside down by a two-year-old receiving communion like a little bird from his mother. Or maybe it was the smile he offered me while pieces of barely chewed bread were falling out onto the floor. Or perhaps it was the little skip in his step when his cheeks were filled like a chipmunk preparing for winter. But I couldn't stop laughing. And that simple and profound moment the desert of our ritualistic liturgy was transformed with blossoms of laughter as other people started to laugh in response to my snorting. In that brief and beautiful moment, God brought this church some much-needed joy. You see, after spending the better part of two months confronting controversies facing the church and addressing the deep-seated political anger felt in this congregation and across the country, we needed to laugh. Isaiah says that the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. The prophet looks to the future and shares the ridiculousness of the renewal that is waiting for God's people. Like a desert blooming in the middle of a drought, like old and worn out people finding strength in their knees, like tongues of the speechless being filled with words, so will the glory of the Lord transform the world. In this vision Isaiah has, everything is made new, from the farthest reaches of creation to the deepest aspects of our souls. The deserts shall rejoice and blossom. Flowers will grow abundantly in the forgotten places. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, and waters will break forth in the wilderness. God promises transformation and joy. Though not necessarily the transformations and joys we pray for, but ridiculous and redemptive reversals nonetheless. Isaiah sings about liberation joyful homecomings, and the end of all sorrow and sighing. Signs of this future joy will be made manifest in the weak being strengthened. Those with feeble knees will stand firm. The fearful will be strong. Those who have been long isolated to the powers of loneliness will be grafted in and never forgotten. Isaiah then sings about the holy highway cutting through the wilderness, a way for God's travelers to move without threat or fear, a place where God's people can sing on their way home. It sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. It sounds a lot like heaven. But just like last week, Isaiah's song about the promises of God are not just things that will happen in the far distant future. They are part of God's wonderful and creative reality here and now. Yet there will always be things that hold us back. Accidents on the highway of God's grace. Things that prevent us from seeing God's promised salvation. Chains and bumps that derail us from the pathway to glory. Economic fears, political disappointments, spiritual droughts, emotional baggage, relational frustration, seasonal depression, just to name a few. And yet over and over and over again, whether it's through a child walking back to his pew with bits of saliva-soaked bread falling out of his mouth or a host of other things, God transforms this world through joy. I think if you know anything about me, you know that I love to tell stories. 
From the time we are young children, we learn important lessons more through stories than through object lessons. That's why scripture is so powerful, and it's why Jesus used parables to explain the immensity of God to his disciples. And so this week, in anticipation of this very sermon, I emailed a number of you to ask for stories of how God has transformed your life, how God has filled you with joy. I wanted to hear about times when God's living water broke forth in the midst of an otherwise desert-like existence. And you did not disappoint. One of you wrote to me about how you came to this church for years without it really meaning much. It was just the thing you were supposed to do. And on one particular occasion, you were sitting in these pews listening to the choir sing an anthem. And there wasn't anything particularly moving about the words or even the melody of the song. But you said you found yourself watching our choir. And in their singing, in their faces, you saw how faithful they were. And how they meant the words they were singing. You said that though you had been here many times, you had heard the same choir sing many times, God spoke to you through their faithfulness that fateful day. And then you wrote that since then you have known and experienced the power of God through the music of this church and through those who provide it. One of you wrote to me about how narrow-minded and intolerant you used to be. Whether it had been or whether it had to do with politics or religion or social status, you judged others unfairly. And then a pastor came to this church, a guy named Zig Volskis, and he changed everything for you. His spiritual presence and demeanor taught you the importance of asking the right questions and the importance of being content with answers that were different than what you expected. Instead of treating you like a new student who needed to be lectured, Zig encouraged you. And through God working in him, you began to see the Bible not as a book to be consumed, but as a life-giving witness to the reality of God. And still yet, one of you wrote to me about a recent event where you attended the funeral for someone out of guilt because you thought no one else was going to go. And yet, when you arrived, there was a line out the door and across the street full of people trying to get into that chapel. You described the experience as a moment through which God made you aware of one of your many sins, your judgment of others based on accomplishments that you deem as worthy. And through it, you were transformed to know and believe that everyone has worth and that everyone is sacred. God transformed the world through the advent of Jesus Christ and God continues to transform our lives in ways we cannot even anticipate or imagine. I never thought that a man named Terry would come into this church this morning and cry in the sight of our Christmas tree. But the devastated souls and deserts of our souls will once again blossom through things like the tears of a homeless man or through a crowded funeral, through a faithful pastor, a passionate choir, or even through a child receiving communion. God uses people in our lives to transform our lives so that we might change other lives. Isaiah's song is about the ridiculous renewal that is awaiting all of us. That through God's transformative work, joy will rain down from the skies and all the scattered promises of the Bible will be fulfilled like a dance.
The earth will spring forth new life. Bodies will be remade. Freedoms will be conferred. The city of God will be reclaimed. Joys will erupt from unexpected places. And sorrow and sighing will be banished from the face of the earth. And the song ends with the happy and joyful homecoming of those who have been liberated from the bondage that keeps them on the way that leads to life. For there is a new way a new way that cuts through the desolate deserts and turns them into beautifully blooming fields. And God's people will travel on that way without threat or fear. They will sing with joyful hearts because the Lord is doing a new thing. So hear this. God is not done. God is not done with you. God is not done with me. God is most certainly not done with this church. God breaks the chains of our slavery to sin and death. God delivers us to places yet unknown. God transforms our hopes and our dreams into real and tangible experiences. God fills the deserts of our souls with living water. God blossoms and brings forth new life and opportunities in ways that we cannot even imagine. God offers unending joy to us, the redeemed. God makes a way where there is no way. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you all please pray with me?